0: Good morning, community of faith. It's officially still morning. We got 60 seconds left in the morning, so good morning. Some of you are real confused right now. As I was walking up, I heard somebody over here say, I've never seen Wes in a suit. Am I lying? Did somebody over say, Yeah, somebody said that. Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm not lying. So I've got a suit on today, and if maybe you're here for the very first time, or maybe you're watching online and uh, you're like, Wow. They really dress up at Community of Faith. Listen, this is the first time I've ever worn a suit on this platform on a Sunday, okay? So um, this is not normal. This is very, very different. And I know for some of you, um, that's exciting. You're like, that's the way it should be. For others of you, you're like, I'm uncomfortable. Uh, Wes, you look like you're about to sign up for a job interview. What is going on? Um, But this is different. Uh, There's another reason I wanted to wear a suit today other than just being different. I wanted to shake it up because that's what we're gonna talk about today is being different. Um, That's kind of the focus of our message is to be different, but uh, my birthday's also this week. And I just thought it'd be fun to say that I preached in my birthday suit this weekend. And so uh, there you go. Thought I'd leave you with that. You're welcome. I apologize. You know what? Sometimes I just say things that aren't in my notes. We are talking about being different. We're kicking off a new series today out of the book of Daniel. And Daniel is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's not my favorite, but it's one of my favorite. Um, Probably in the Old Testament, Joshua would come first and then Daniel would be second. A lot of fascinating things happen in the book of Daniel. But I want us to think about this idea of being different today. What would it look like for us to be different? We're thinking about what it looks like to be stronger in the days ahead. I don't know about you, but I know this is true for me and you don't have to get on this wagon with me, but I'm kind of tired of looking back. I'm tired, I'm kind of sick of talking about everything that's happened in the last 18 months. Those are real things, they're painful things, there's some exciting things, but I'm really anxious to get moving forward. I wanna look towards the days ahead and I wanna be stronger in the days ahead than I was in the days behind. And so I wanna build my life on some things that is going to last, that are going to last. So over the next several weeks, Mark and I are gonna be unpacking the book of Daniel. And every single week, I want us to focus on a choice that we can make to begin to unleash God's plan for our future. I want us to think about the future. And so today's choice is very simply just to be different. What would it look like for you to choose and be intentional about being different? Now, notice I didn't say be weird. There's a difference. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know Christians or people who go to church and you look at them and you watch their life. You're like, man, they're just weird. I don't know that I can get on board with that. Listen. They were weird before they went to church. They were weird before they met Jesus, okay? Some people are just weird and we can all be that way sometimes. But uh, I want us to think about this. What does it look like to be different? And to better understand this, I just wanna go ahead and dive into the text. Let's dive into Daniel chapter one. Let's begin to unpack what this means for us as we jump into this journey through the book of Daniel over the next several weeks. So the first part of my message is just kind of an intro setup for the entire series. So bear with me, okay? Let's jump in. Verse one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now we already have two sides here. We've got Judah and we've got Babylon, two nations. Babylon has showed up and has taken over Judea. The Lord gave to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Now it's important for us to understand what's going on here. This is happening in 605 BC before Christ. So this is this is before Jesus has arrived on the scene. We're reading about this this scenario that God had warned his people about. He had warned the people of Judah, he had warned the Israelites that if they didn't turn back to him and become fully devoted to him again, then they were going to be taken captive by the Babylonians. They would be destroyed by the Babylonians. And so they choose to not return to God. They choose to not trust God and his goodness and his power and his strength and his plans for their future. And the result of that is the Babylonians take over. And the Babylonians were ruled by an evil king named King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, not only did King Nebuchadnezzar want to destroy the Israelites, but he also wanted to erase any memory or anything that would resemble the worship of the one true God, anything that would resemble Yahweh. He wanted to completely destroy it. So he didn't just take over their city, he destroyed their temple and he took things out of the temple for himself that would be valuable for himself. And so he began to take this on and he, what, he, what he wanted to do is he wanted to completely eradicate anything that had to do with Yahweh, the one true God. Let's continue on in verse three. It says this, it says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, I'm just gonna call him Ash for mo- moving forward because I just get uncomfortable saying that. Sorry, a um, little bit of a fifth grade, middle school boy in all of us. The chief of his officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good looking. So automatically some of us are out already. I'm out, all right? We're good looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge and who had ability for serving in the king's courts. Now something interesting is happening here. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians have taken out Judah. They've destroyed the temple. They're trying to erase any thoughts or any idea of the one true God, but then they decide to take specific people and they kidnap them. And they're gonna take them back to the kingdom. And so they're looking for specific kinds of people. They're looking for the, the tall, dark, and handsome young men. I mean, these are, these are probably scholars believe these, these guys were 12 to 15 years old. So middle school, early high school aged. And these, these guys are literally human trafficked from where they were familiar, from home, and taken to an unfamiliar place, the place of the enemy. In other words, those who were voted most likely to succeed by their peers were kidnapped. This is an uncomfortable situation. Families were probably destroyed. They were wrecked, they were pulled apart. Some were killed, hopes and dreams for the future completely gone. You can imagine the grief, the hurt, the trauma experienced by the people of Israel. As we continue in the story, we're gonna learn about Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah four specific guys that I think we can learn something for. But before we dive into it some more, I think it's important for us to just pause for a second and recognize the situation is an incredibly difficult situation. It's a devastating situation. And some of us have walked into this place today living in the reality of that for ourselves, or we've been through that at some point in the past, or we're on the doorstep of a circumstance similar to this. Just this week, we hosted two large funerals on our campus. Wednesday, we had the, the celebration of life for a Harris County deputy, Sean Waters, 42 years old, passed from COVID. That's a tragic circumstance. Yesterday, we celebrated the life of a 16-year-old who tragically lost her life, has grown up at Community of Faith. We celebrated her life, celebrated her faith in Jesus and the reality of the hope that we have because of that for her future and for ours. But those are real, heavy difficult situations, and many of you represent similar situations. I would ask that you would continue to pray for both those families, the Garcia family and the Waters family, but I want you to know my heart today. I'm not standing up here today. I don't want us to move through this teaching series with this mindset that I'm just trying to get you to suck it up or to get tougher, or hey, we're gonna be stronger and and make make it through this time. I mean, we don't really even like those kind of people, do you? you You know the person that you kind of spill out all the things going on in your life that are overwhelming and they just say, well, you know what? That's really not that bad. Like it, it it could be worse. Like don't you just wanna punch that guy in the face? I don't wanna be that guy today. Or the person when you tell them how bad things are going on in your life, they have to top you and tell you all the things going on in their life that are so much worse. That's not what my intent is for us today. My intent for us today is to know that even in an impossible, overwhelming situation. It's possible that you can overcome that, but you get to decide that today. You get to decide today, will I be stronger tomorrow? You see, I don't think our circumstances are gonna change today, but the way you see your circumstances and the way that you see your future despite your circumstances can change. Because the reality is, as some of you walked in, experiencing a busted marriage. And when you walk out tonight today or when you tune off of this live stream, that marriage is still gonna be busted up when you leave. Maybe you're unemployed. The reality is, is you're gonna walk out of here still unemployed. Maybe you have a prodigal child making poor choices that are devastating to you. Reality is, is nothing that's gonna happen in here is gonna necessarily change that. Those are real circumstances, but I don't think they have to be paralyzing circumstances. Maybe today we get to change our focus despite those circumstances. And we see this happening for these four guys, for these that have been taken prisoner by the Babylonians. Look how the story goes on. He ordered him to teach them, him being Ash. He ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Anywhere I've highlighted something, it's important to think about that. Maybe if you're following along in your Bible or you're taking notes, underline that, follow along with that. I would encourage you to take notes through this entire series, because I think it's gonna be shaping and forming for every single one of us. It says, teach them the literature and the language. So there's this indoctrination process beginning to happen. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine. So they're being given the king's food, that's a big deal which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Eat this food, learn these things for three years and you'll be promoted, you'll be elevated, you'll have more influence, you'll have more authority, you'll have more power. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And it continues on, it says, then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. So they're changing their name. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. This is an interesting scene that's taking place. It's a devastating scene that's taking place for these young boys. But you see this indoctrination process begin to take place. It's the scheme of, of Babylon. And I think it's important for us to understand and recognize this for ourselves and what this means for us today because the Babylonian scheme is still working today. We're reading about the literal kingdom of Babylon in the book of Daniel, but you know that Babylon and the ideology of Babylon and what it means is represented throughout all of scripture. We read about the land of Shinar in the first couple of verses of what we read this morning. The land of Shinar is also mentioned in Genesis chapter 11 verse 2 where the First city of man was created. It's where people gathered together to build the tower of Babel, Babylon. And then you see John mention Babylon in his apocalyptic vision in the book of Revelation. Paul references Babylon when he's talking about the Roman empire. All throughout scripture, you see this idea of Babylon, Babylonian culture, there's a scheme. The Babylonian culture is a culture focused on man focused on what's best for man, focused on what man wants to do in complete opposition to the one true God. So you have these two forces and these two forces are still working today. It's happening behind the scenes of your life and my life. There's a kingdom of darkness. There's an enemy who is working to get you to focus on yourself. That's getting our culture to focus on ourselves and to get our culture to get far away and removed from any existence, understanding, acknowledgement of the one true God. That's what we see throughout the book of Daniel. We see this happening. We see this literally happening in the kingdom of Babylon. But please understand, there's a very intentional battle still going on today. The enemy is scheming. He is working to distract you, to pull you away from anything that God wants for your life, from God's goodness, from his power, from his love that's for you, from his plan for your life. And we have to understand this if we ever want to continue to move forward in the days ahead with greater strength. In order to build a life that lasts, we have to understand this. There's a few things that are specific about the scheme of Babylon. The first thing is simply this, the Babylon scheme wants to change where you are. You think about Daniel and his friends. They were pulled away from their home. They were marched across the desert, seven, 800, almost a thousand miles away was the Babylonian kingdom. They were marched to this place. They were pulled away from their closest relationships. They were pulled away from their families. They were pulled away from their circles of trust. The same thing is happening in our world today. I was listening to a podcast last year and uh, this guy was talking about how to, um, basically he was asked the question, what will be a key characteristic of any successful business, any successful leader, um, any successful church or organization? He asked this guy, he said, "What, what what do you see the key characteristic being in the days ahead for someone to be successful or for an organization to be successful? And this guy responded, he said, trust. Trust will be the number one thing. And he said, the reason is, is because we have found ourselves in a place in our culture where we don't trust anybody. Our circles of trust have become so small, two or three people at the most. For many people, there's not even one person that we can really trust. Everybody that we once used to be able to trust, or we thought we were gonna be able to trust for the rest of our lives, we don't feel like we can trust anymore for a lot of different reasons. We don't feel like we can trust doctors anymore. We don't feel like we can trust lawyers anymore. I, we, we don't know that we can trust teachers or coaches or scientists. We don't trust politicians. We struggle to trust law enforcement officers. We struggle to trust pastors. We struggle to trust our parents, our moms and our dads. Do you see this breakdown? Listen, if I wanna change who you are, then I need to remove you away from the people that you're closest to. Because when I can get you isolated, when I can get you away and I can begin to shape something new in you. And this didn't just happen in this day, it's happening today in our culture. Do you see this? I heard another pastor in the Dallas area, Josh Howerton say this this week. He says, you'll always drift away from people of faith before you drift from your faith. You'll always drift away from people of faith before you drift from your faith. Think about that, where does that land for you? if you found yourself in a place where you've distanced yourself or you've become distant from the people that used to pour life and love and encouragement and truth, God's goodness into your life, if you find yourself removed and you still have faith, it won't be there very long unless you reconnect. It's part of the scheme. And right now, maybe the step for some of you to make today, whether you're online or in the room, is to just stop listening to me for just a second and pull out your phone and sign up for a small group that kicks off this week. And this isn't just like my shameless plug for small groups because we wanna pat ourselves on the back for how many people are in a small group at Community of Faith. Your life depends on it because there's an enemy of darkness working to wreck you, to destroy you and to remove anything of God's goodness from your life. And the last thing you need to do is stay in that isolation or to stay in that circle where there is no trust. There's nothing but destruction. And so the step that you need to take right now is to take 15, 20 seconds and sign up for a small group. It's gonna be a little bit awkward, especially if you don't know anybody yet, but it's gonna be awkward for other people as well. But this is where I'm asking you to trust. Even though I may not have any credibility in your mind because there's not a significant relationship established there, would you trust us that this is the best step that you could take? to push back against the scheme of the Babylonian culture. Not only does the Babylonian culture wanna change where you are, but it wants to change who you are. We see this in the story. We see them changing who Daniel and his friends are. They literally became eunuchs. And if you don't know what that means, I don't recommend Googling that because I don't know what's gonna come up for that but the Babylonians wanted to destroy any hope that they had for the future that they envisioned. And so they took away the opportunity that they had to be husbands and to be fathers. Let me tell you something, in every culture in our past, you begin to take away the responsibility and the value of the role of a father and you begin to destroy a culture. The Babylonians knew this, This didn't just happen then, it's happening today. If you were to have a conversation with a bitter, angry woman or child, most likely the reason they feel the way they feel is because of the failure of a man in their life. And I'm not saying that to make you feel ashamed. I'm not saying that in any kind of judgment. I want us to be aware because it's not until we are aware that we can make any kind of a difference and change something. Wisdom And teaching from fathers, from men, we look to governments. We're looking to government to provide all the things men were supposed to provide for us. And I'm not saying any of that to discredit anything that the woman is to bring into the relationship. Women can bring all of those things as well, but there's something there's something significant to pay attention to when it comes to the man. The Babylonian culture wanted to destroy the man, wanted to change who they were. Not only that, but they changed their names. They changed their identity. They changed what they called themselves. All four of these guys' names were connected to Yahweh. They pointed to who God was and who God thought they were. When they get to Babylon, the Babylonians changed their names to represent names that would point to a false God. This was a polyistic kingdom. And so all their names were changed to represent a false God. That's significant for us to pay attention to. The reason they did this is because when someone would say their name, it was a reminder of who they were now and it was to move them away from who their understanding of their heavenly father might be. We wrestle with this today. Our past does this today. Have you ever noticed that? You begin to think about your past. You think about some of your past decisions. You begin to think about your life. And what we begin to do is we begin to take on the identity of a slave in Babylon. We begin to believe that things in our past have claimed identity on who we are And when we begin to focus our our attention on that, we begin to understand that as our identity, and we begin to live a life in response to who we think we are, who the enemy says we are. And it's always destructive. It always robs us of God's strength in our lives. And we begin to think of ourselves as an addict, as a failure, as a fraud, as unlovable, divorced, ugly, overweight, there's no hope for my future, too old, And we begin to take on this identity and we begin to think this is just who I am and my life is just a continual response to who the culture says that I am. But Jesus would say, no, that is not true because in Christ, Scripture tells us that we are a new creation. We've been remade. We've been made new. We're born again, sons and daughters of our heavenly father. And when I begin to understand that truth of my life when you begin to unpack that truth for your life, then the chains of addiction no longer have a grip on who you are and how you live. We begin to understand that truth for us. We begin to take on the identity that Jesus gave his life for Then the failure of your past no longer owns you. That failed marriage no longer dictates the way the relationships will go in the future. That's not who you are. Don't let the enemy continue to tell you that the point is is that you've been set free, but we often don't live like we're free. But we see with what Daniel does in just a second, you can live free even in captivity. You see this with Daniel. The last thing that they do is they change what you believe. The Babylonian scheme will change what you believe. We, t- we heard about a three-year indoctrination. It's subtle. It's slick. It doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal. Do you see what they did? Not only did they change their names, but they began to change their food. Well, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. I mean, it's just, it's just a snack, it's just, it's just some food. They began to offer them this food and let's just be real, if the king is offering the food that he eats to you, I mean, I'm no dummy, I'm gonna eat that because that's probably some good food. I mean, I like a good hamburger with a lot of cheese, a lot of bacon, some avocado, I mean, pack on the calories. Am I talking to anybody? I mean, where are my my high calorie hamburger eaters? All right, all right, we got some in the house. I see you. I just make sure you're still awake. You're like, yeah, Wes, hurry it up because I wanna go eat one of those hamburgers right now. I I I like hamburgers, I like steaks. It's interesting that the Babylonians bring Daniel and his friends some food. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It doesn't seem like it's something that is gonna make a huge difference. But the problem with the king's food was this. The food and the wine were dedicated to pagan gods because in this culture, before the king was ever given any food to eat or anything to drink, that food and drink were taken and it was given and offered as a a worship to the false gods. So in order for Daniel and his buddies to eat this food would be worshiping the false gods. It would be compromising on their faith. It would be compromising on who God is for their life. They remembered back to Exodus 34, where it says, don't eat meat, sacrificed to idols. That's a very clear black and white instruction for how to live. These guys understood that and they weren't willing to compromise, even though there was this lure, this incentive to compromise. It's not that big of a deal, it's just some food. But you know what will happen? Eat the king's food and you'll be better off. We deal with some of this in our own culture, things that don't seem like that big of a deal, small compromises with great rewards, rewards for power and prestige, for notoriety, for success, for advancement, to climb the ladder. And so we'll make these subtle, small compromises, still living 98% of what we know we're supposed to do, but compromising on the 2%. We begin to let these things infiltrate our minds. You and I are being educated. We're being indoctrinated through media, through television, through Netflix, through social media, through all that we invest our time in and all that we take in. Everything that goes in has to come out and it begins to change who we are. And we have to be careful. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I have a cell phone, I have social media, I have Netflix. I watch all kinds of things. I just want us to be careful what, it's, what we're allowing it, to us, allowing it to do in our lives. Babylon wants to rob you of God's goodness. That's that's the key. And so the question you need to ask yourself today is where is Babylon's scheme robbing you of God's goodness in your life? It's an important question to consider. How will you respond to that? What will you do? Let's look at Daniel's response to all of this. But Daniel made up his mind. I mean, there's nothing more important to remember than that. Daniel made up his mind, he made this predetermined in advance. He made a decision that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. This is a big moment. We see Daniel's unique resolve, we see his resilience, we see his strength in this moment. He made up his mind in advance. He made a decision before he was in the moment that he would not defile himself. It's so important for us to understand that because I don't know that we're strong enough to make the decision when we're actually in the moment. Daniel made the decision in advance. It was a predetermined choice that he made, And it's important for us to know like him and God didn't have this conversation first where God said, hey, Daniel, listen, I need you to do everything right. Make up your mind today. I'm going to write a book about you. It's going to be in the Old Testament. People are going to talk about it in Hockley, Texas in 2021 during a crazy year. Um, listen, you're going to hang out in the lion's den. Here's how you're going to survive that. Like there was no conversation about that. It was a total commitment to trusting God's goodness. In a situation that was trying to overwhelm him, Daniel showed a unique confidence a strength, and it's what sets him up in the rest of this book to live a life that's built to last. Daniel draws a line in the sand. No matter what happens in my future, I will make up my mind today for my future. It's significant, it's life-changing. Check out Daniel's strategy. This is what he does. Daniel's strategy, as you think about this, Daniel chooses conviction over compromise. He was more confident in his conviction than he was in his compromise. You had to know that Daniel was struggling. I mean, he'd gone through a tragic, traumatic experience. And it's interesting that we only hear about these four guys, and there were a lot of other guys that were kidnapped. We only read about these these four because all the others probably compromised in fear, struggling to understand and trusting that God's goodness was still for them despite the circumstances going on in their life. And he comes to this place and he makes a decision And he's living out the conviction because of his trust in God's goodness, trust in God's power, trust in God's ability for his life in the days ahead. And he says, listen, I'm drawing a line in the sand. You can take me from my home. You can disconnect me from my family. You can even change my name, but I will not defile myself by eating this food because my God says that's not his best for me. So I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm gonna live in this, even though it's uncomfortable listen, when you do that, when you and I do that, you're gonna be different. You're going to stand out in the crowd. It's a natural reaction. My wife and I met 17 years ago. Uh, we actually celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary this last week. And so, yeah, that's exciting. That was like the lamest clap I ever did for my own anniversary. I was, did you see that? I went, that was exciting. <laughs> She's not here, thank goodness, Um, but it really is exciting and here's why. When I met Brandy, we were both students at Texas A&M and we both had experienced a broken home. Both of our parents had walked through divorce and we had felt the impacts of that. And so we got to know each other for several months before we actually started dating. And then when we started dating, I remember us having a conversation where we started to talk about like what a relationship would look like even if we were to get married one day. And we were both committed to do whatever it took to have the best relationship possible. We wanted to honor God in our relationship. We wanted our family one day to be in a marriage and in a, in a family dynamic and in a home that honored God and knows God. And we wanted to protect our kids from anything that would destruct or destroy anything in their life. And so we were committed to doing what we thought was best. And we believed that that was trusting God. And so we made a decision right out of the gates that we were not going to, man, in the first hour, I called it Jiggy Jiggy and I don't know why I said that we weren't gonna go there. There wasn't gonna be any bump and grind. There wasn't gonna be any whatever you wanna call it. I'm trying to protect anything that someone who maybe doesn't understand what I'm talking about yet, just trying to protect you from some awkward conversations on the way home. So by doing that, I've made it really awkward and uncomfortable right now. But you get my drift. But we made a decision in advance because here's what I know. If we had not made the decision in advance, then we would have found ourselves in a moment unable to make the decision in the moment. so we made a decision because we trusted God's best for us. And for two years, we dated and then we were engaged before we got married. And listen, we got married and we got the Gatorade out and we made up for lost time, okay? And it was awesome. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that's great, Wes. That's kind of weird and makes me uncomfortable. I had somebody say to me one time, I was talking about that with some friends, not on a stage like this. And somebody said, well, Wes, that's great. But man, I just don't think that works for me. And, And you're a pastor and you probably never think about doing that anyways. And I'm like, bro, what? I'm a pastor, so that disqualifies me from hormones and being attracted to somebody. And I mean, I think my wife is gorgeous. I mean, she is fine and I love her and I have feelings for her and affection for her. And she feels that way for me. I don't know about the fine part, but all the other stuff, I think it qualifies. And listen, if we'd gotten stuck in a moment and we hadn't made that decision in advance, then we would have failed in that commitment. We would have compromised on God's goodness for our life and we didn't wanna compromise. And listen, we haven't always gotten everything right in our lives, but I think we got that right. And I'm thankful for that. And I don't say that to judge you because maybe that's not the route you took. And listen, that's okay. I don't, I, you, you don't have to worry about that. My point is, is that there's value in trusting conviction over compromise. Maybe it's time that you start turning away and walking away from some conversations that are happening that are destructive. Maybe it's time to have a conversation with someone, to begin to interact with someone in a respectful dialogue. Notice how he moves forward in this, in this living out conviction over compromise. He says, please, he goes to the commander and he says to him, he comes up with this plan. He says, please, like there's respect here. This commander has authority over Daniel's life. He says, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Daniel's not willing to compromise, but notice in his living out his conviction, he doesn't become insanely irate. He doesn't begin to rage against everybody who disagrees with what he thinks or wants to live by different convictions. He chooses respect over rage. And I think this is such a valuable thing for us to pay attention to today because we live in a world that's so incredibly divided. We're shouting at each other from the rooftops, shouting at each other from the opposite ends of the aisle, from the opposite ends of the Facebook rooms. We are so irate about what we believe. We want everybody else to know it. Notice Daniel makes a plan. He respectfully pulls the authority aside. And he says, hey, listen, I respect your authority. And listen, I'm gonna go to your school and I'm gonna do a lot of the things that you ask me to do, but I, I'm sorry, I just won't compromise here. And I need you to know that, but here's a plan that maybe we could pursue. Here, here's an alternative so that we can meet in the middle. There's a conversation, there's a dialogue. What would that look like for us to begin to step into that, to choose respect over rage and we begin to live this out listen, that's going to make you different. And there's value in being different. You see this in Daniel's life. He chooses respect over rage. And then he chooses faith over fear. I mean, Daniel's had the rug pulled out from underneath his life. He finds himself in a place where most people in the same situation would have completely doubted or even just walked away from God and said, God, if you're good, I, I, I can't handle it. this. There's just no way this would happen. Daniel's gotta be terrified, still dealing with the trauma, with the, the, just the, the chaos that he's walked through and remembering that. Yet even in that, he had the ability to remember that God is good and that God is able and that God is for him. And he chose to respond out of faith rather than fear. And I think we struggle with that in our world. The Babylonian scheme becomes so overwhelming. So we find ourselves in an overwhelming situation. We begin to just kind of stuff it inside. We begin to uh, just pull away from everybody else. And we don't really do anything. We don't respond, but what we're actually doing is responding. Fear is forcing us to respond by not doing anything. And it's dangerous. Don't let Babylon rob you of God's goodness in your life. Daniel chooses faith over fear. He makes up his mind in advance. He makes a predetermined decision. That might be the decision that you need to make today. Notice what happens in verse nine. This is awesome. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. You see this immediately. Daniel responds He responds to his conviction respectfully. He chooses faith over fear and God responds. Now, God, listen, God is a right now God. I think sometimes we get stuck in thinking, God, you were back then or when God When will you, God? We begin to think about that because we don't see it or we don't feel it in the moment. But listen, even though you can't see it, even though you don't feel it right now in this moment, God is working right now on your behalf for your good, for his plans for your life. He wants to unleash something in you. And even when you don't feel it, he's asking you to trust him. For Daniel, he had strong beliefs. He was strong in his faith and he responded in that. And in that, God responded and he responded with promotion. He responded with giving him more influence. Daniel was different, but he found more influence in his life. He's still in Babylon. He's still hurting. He's still struggling with all the things. He's still not back home where he was, not where it was familiar and safe, but yet God worked anyways because Daniel responded. He chose to be different. And then we skip down to verse 17 and land this plane. It says, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge, intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. I mean, this is this is crazy because they were deceived to think that if you eat this food, the king's food, then you're going to experience these things. But God says, hey, hey, hang on a second, trust me. And watch what God does. He gives them knowledge, intelligence, and every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. When we respond with faith, God always responds with more than what we imagined he was going to respond with. He gives more than they were gonna get. Look what it says after that, it continues on. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before King Nebuchadnezzar. So this is like the defining moment. We've gotta take you before the king. And remember what Daniel said. He said, hey, trust us. Let us eat the vegetables and drink the water for 10 days and then present us for the king and see what he thinks. But I think we're gonna be okay. I think we'll actually be better than the others. Then the king talked with them. And out of them all, out of all of those who had been brought from Judea or Judah to Babylon, the four, not one of them was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. In other words, they were promoted. They were given influence. Why? Because they were different. Look what it says. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them 10 times better. I'm not a math genius, but that's a lot. That's significant. 10 times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. I mean, this is supernatural. God is supernaturally working in Daniel's life and Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus, the king. Don't miss what God does. They're the healthiest the smartest, the strongest. He's given them supernatural gifts and abilities and talents. This is an unbelievable thing, but I don't want us to miss that last verse. He continued until King Cyrus. This is influence to the max because there was King Nebuchadnezzar and then there was King Nebuchadnezzar II And then there was Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, I hate that name. I I don't know, I've struggled to say it all day. And then there's Cyrus, four different kings spanned over 70 years. And in that 70 years, Daniel remained as the second most powerful person in the most powerful kingdom in the entire world because he chose to be different. And when he chose to be different, God gave him influence and power and prestige, not to make Daniel's name great, but to make his name great. This is significant for us to pay attention to. 70 years of influence. He went from being a 13-year-old boy who had been human trafficked from his homeland to being 83 years old after 70 years of powerful influence. Daniel was different. He made up his mind and God showed up. You know, what's interesting. I read this and I'll, I'll land with this. We still sing about Daniel. This is fascinating. I don't know if you know that but at Christmas time, we sing or we talk about the three wise men, the Magi that came from a long way off. You know where the Magi came from? They were a group of, let me make sure I get this right. They were a group of a priestly, a priestly group of Medes from the original courts of King Nebuchadnezzar 600 years prior to the arrival of Jesus in Bethlehem. You know who was in charge of the Magi? Originally, Daniel, Daniel, the prophet who had influence and in his influence, he influenced the Magi because how would they know? How would they know to go 800 miles away to a place called Bethlehem to find the King of the Jews, the one who rescued you and me from ourselves, the one we celebrated and remember during communion? Why would they know to even go look for him? Why do they care? Who told them? Daniel because he was different. Because he was different, he had influence. That was Daniel's legacy. Here's my challenge to you today. Be remembered for being different rather than forgotten for blending in. I would rather be remembered for being different than being forgotten for blending in. Let me ask you this. I ask my boys this question all the time in different situations. Are you a... Thermometer, or are you a thermostat? A thermometer gauges the temperature of a room, of a house, of an environment. A thermostat adjusts the temperature in an environment. The influence of a single life, one person choosing to be different, can influence an entire environment around it. Are you a thermometer? or a thermostat. To be a thermostat means to smile, to be loving, to be respectful, to live with conviction rather than compromise, to live with faith rather than fear. I'd rather be known for being different than forgotten for blending in. That's what God has called us to. A lot of people are gonna remember the day that Wes wore a suit. Why? Because it was different. And there wasn't anybody else in the room like him. And that's usually true for a lot of different reasons. But today it's true. And that's my hope is that we'll remember that and we'll go and we'll live that. And so here's how I wanna land this. This is what I want us to do. We're gonna, we're gonna um, finish our time together in a unique way. I'm gonna ask if you're a teacher, a coach, a principal, a custodian, if you work for any school system, school district, I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm not gonna make you uncomfortable. I wanna pray for you. This is a big time for you. This is a big week for you, so if that's you, I'm gonna ask that you would just stand up all over the room. If you're all watching online, if you would just put a little thumbs up in the chat or just say, I'm here with your name. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for you because I believe that those that are standing have the opportunity to be a thermostat. Many of you are, you're difference makers. So many of you spend more time with other people's kids than you've ever spent with your own kids. And I wanna say thank you for that. But I also want us to pray for you because these are difficult times. You're caught in the middle of a lot of crazy tension and criticism and uncertainty and fear. And, but I believe that maybe this moment is the moment that God has set you up for, to be different, to stand out with respect living with conviction and choosing faith over fear so that you would make a difference and have influence that shapes the next generation, that pushes back the scheme of Babylon in our culture. I'm thankful for you. And I want us to pray together for you. So church, let's pray. Maybe you wanna reach your hand out to somebody or maybe some of you wanna reach back to that camera and pray for those that are online watching that are in education. But I wanna pray for our educators today, if you'll let me. As you stay standing, God, I thank you for these men and women I thank you for the courage. I thank you for their energy and their effort to get ready for this new school year. I know some of them have already started and are already overwhelmed with all that that means and brings and I know some are anticipating tomorrow and right now I'm just praying that you would give them everything that they need. As we saw supernatural power in Daniel's life, would you provide that supernatural power for them right now as they trust you, as they choose to trust you, as they push back compromise, as they look to you for wisdom, would you give them that wisdom to see the situations they find themselves the way that you see them, that they would see the children and the the coworkers and the people they interact with the way that you see them, give them influence, give them power to make a difference. God, as they lay their heads down tonight and the rest of this school year, would you allow their minds to turn off so they can actually rest, push back anxiety and stress, would your peace overwhelm them so they can rest and be energized for the next day, to go out the next day and to live on purpose, to make a difference in the lives of so many. Thank you for them. Give them good health. Protect them from sickness. Protect them from unnecessary criticism. Just protect their hearts, their minds, their bodies this year. We trust you for that. We know you care even more about them than we do. So we're thankful. We ask with a lot of confidence in Jesus' name. Amen.